Hello and welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. The field of biological rejuvenation is filled with a lot of visionaries who started out with a plan to accomplish the goal of extending human lives. Then there are a few that just happen to surprisingly work their way into the field. Dr. Andy Bartke of Southern Illinois University is one such researcher. One day, he is investigating fertility in mice, and the next day, he's winning the Methuselah Mouse Prize. Listen in to hear his story of discovery and how growth hormone is intertwined with the aging process. And now, I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, Dr. Andy Bartke. Welcome. Hi, I'm... Glad that you are interested. Yes, thank you so much for joining us here. And just to give people a little bit of a background, how did you become interested in the field of aging? How did that all happen? Back in the 90s, we were working on uh, reproductive function in animals with genetic engineering causing excessive levels of growth hormone. And this was related to the potential use of this technology in animal industry, which was a hot topic uh, at the time. And in the course of this research, we noticed that these, these were mice and these were giant mice with having too much growth hormone. We noticed that these giant mice age abnormally early and die at unexpectedly early age. And this caught our attention that there must be some link between growth hormone actions and aging. And we were trying to address this in various experiments. And one of the things that we did was to check the longevity of animals that had opposite endocrine situation, namely they had no growth hormone. And we thought that if lots of growth hormone is accelerated aging, then it would be interesting to know if having no growth hormone would have any effect. And we were surprised to find that it had a huge effect. Namely, these animals lived much longer. And the difference between them and their normal siblings that had no endocrine syndromes was very big. Basically, the control mice lived around two years, and these mutant mice without growth hormone around three years. And it's very difficult to make a mama live 50% longer than it normally does. So we got very excited about it. We also soon realized that other people in the field were also interested. Basically, over a few years, we abandoned our research on reproductive endocrinology and moved our lab in the direction of studying the mechanisms of aging. Wow, that is quite the dramatic result. I imagine that would spur anyone into studying the hormonal aspect of aging. Now, besides growth hormone, have you studied other hormones that have an effect on aging over the last decade or two? Well, of course interested in what the mechanism might be. In other words, why not having growth hormone would be good for you? You know, you, you sort of intuitively would uh, expect the opposite, would expect that losing some normal regulatory factor in the body would cause problems. 
And certainly you wouldn't expect huge benefits and living 50% longer look to us like a significant benefit. So, so we essentially, since we made these observations, and by we I mean uh, Dr. Holly Brown-Bock, who was a postdoctoral fellow uh, in our lab at the time. Uh, she is now a professor at medical school in North Dakota. Since, so since we made this observation back in the early uh, uh, 90s, we've been looking for factors which may explain this observation, or in other words, for mechanisms which would connect this endocrine change to longer life. And some of this, it seems like there are many mechanisms which are involved, and some of these mechanisms are hormonal, and they involve insulin-like growth factor, which is a, a mediator of growth hormone action, and insulin. And we are very much interested in insulin because insulin, I think, has a huge role in human aging. When insulin action is, is disturbed, dysregulated, in metabolic syndrome or in type 2 diabetes, uh, uh, there are many indications that human aging is accelerated, that there are many health problems which look very much like problems that often arise in the course of aging, and there seems to be functional link between abnormal insulin action and aging. So this is one aspect of this long-living mice that we are very interested in. Would that seem to connect, in my mind anyway, it seems to connect calorie restriction to long life as well, because overeating can sometimes lead to insulin resistance and metabolic problems. So there's a connection there. Would you agree that calorie restriction operates in the same manner there by modulating uh, insulin growth factor or insulin itself? and that's why people live longer? I would absolutely agree that color restriction improves insulin signaling. This is one of well-documented effects of color restriction. Uh, it's effect that occurs in every species, I think, that was looked at, every mammalian species that was looked at. It occurs early during color restriction, that insulin sensitivity improves and insulin levels go down, and this is a good combination. Uh, and this is uh, resembling situation in our long-living mice. In many ways, and, and this is a, a big topic, and it, I don't think we have time to go into every detail, but in many ways, these long-living mice resemble the animals on color restriction, but they are not identical. There are also differences. And we, in fact, spent a number of years looking at interactions of color restriction and these genes simply by putting these mutant mice on color restriction and looking at the effects. And we, we had several long-living mutants and the interaction with color restriction was not identical in every case, but the sort of bottom line would be that the mechanisms involved are, yes, they are similar, but they are not identical. Okay. If you go around on the internet or you see various, you know, medical services, they they offer all kinds of hormone therapy that promises to allow you to live a lot longer. It's going to fix everything. Um, it seems perhaps uh, they're jumping the gun or do you see some sort of application 
for your research in the modulation of uh, growth hormone toward human aging. Have you contemplated that? Have you seen any applications of your research toward human hormone therapies? This is another very, very big topic, but <laughs> let me just try to, to cover a few more striking observations. You know, if you give growth hormone to a person, uh, whether it's a middle-aged or elderly person, you will reduce adiposity and you will cause some other physiological changes. And some people interpret this as rejuvenation. And on this basis, there is commercial interest in using growth hormone or growth hormone-related products for rejuvenation, slowing the process or perhaps reversing the process of aging. And the evidence that it is a good approach is really very, very skimpy. And in fact, there are also indications that this approach medically is not sound, that it may cause other problems, uh, including such as insulin resistance that you were just mentioning. And the consensus of endocrinologists and, you know, professional medical organizations is that growth hormone therapy is a great thing for individuals that are growth hormone deficient. People who have a problem that they don't produce normal amounts of growth hormone clearly benefit from growth hormone treatment. But people who do not have a problem, who may have low growth hormone levels simply because they old, growth hormone goes down with aging, they are not candidates for growth hormone therapy. This is not medically recommended. In fact, in the United States, it's not legal to prescribe growth hormone for age being the only indication. You need other indications which are approved. So, so this would be in nutshell using growth hormone for rejuvenation. Now, another aspect is, you know, do any of our findings in mice translate or apply to people? And there is increasing evidence that they do. And some of the most striking observations are in people who have endocrine syndromes similar to our mice, who have dwarfism because of growth hormone not being produced or not working normally. And these people do not have serious health problems, except uh, those related to reduced growth and slower development. They seem to be quite healthy and in fact are protected from various age-related diseases. They, they are protected to various extents from cancer, often very impressively, it depends on the mutation and the population you're talking about. They also, in some of the cohorts of these people, are totally protected from diabetes. And the differences between them and the normal people or from the same population are very striking. So, they seem to have what some people describe as, as healthy aging. In other words, they stay in very good shape into, into later life. They, in fact, look younger than they are. They have high energy levels. They have good mental function. They, they, they do very, very well. There doesn't seem to be anything particular about the longevity. The numbers of people with these conditions are relatively low, so it's very hard to get meaningful data on longevity. But they certainly can live to normal or even 
exceptional uh, age uh, in the group of such individuals, large group of such individuals, which is being studied in northeastern Brazil, there was one centenarian and one nonagenarian uh, among about 100 people. Uh, usually among 100 people, you don't find somebody who is over 100. But of course, you know, this is N of 1, so it doesn't prove anything. It's kind of just intriguing finding. But certainly these people can reach advanced age, and they seem to age very well and stay quite healthy. Also, their metabolic characteristics are uncannily similar to our mice. And in fact, I am in touch with the Professor Aguiar Oliveira in, in, in Brazil, who has studied these people for over 25 years. A few years ago, we published an article together, uh, specifically comparing the long-living mice and his patients. And uh, we are both really astonished uh, how many overlaps and similarities exist. So there is also, you know, in sort of... Uh, general consideration of what regulates longevity, there seems to be a reciprocal relationship between growth and development and the length of life. In other words, individuals or species or populations where the development is slower tend to live longer than situations where the development is fast. Ecologists call it the pace of life. The rapid pace of life is not very good for longevity. Uh, these are, you know, different ways that different species deal with the environment. And uh, a mouse that uh, faces lots of danger, there are lots of things that consider mice food. So mice have developed a strategy of growing very fast and reproducing very early in life. So essentially you could look at it as improving your chances to leave progeny before something eats you, okay? And in contrast, species who have slow pace of life, and we humans are rather extreme example of that, take long time to mature and become reproductively competent, produce one or two young at the time rather than litters, and, and have normally fairly long interval between births, this is particularly true in the sort of hunter-gatherer uh, populations uh, where the nutrition is a little lower than what we're used to and women breastfeed the children for many, many years. So this all characteristics of slow pace of life go with long life. Okay. Yeah, and that kind of leads me into the next question about the various theories of aging. I've read that... Uh, you are usually in the category of programmed aging as a theory of why different species age at different rates and how aging occurs in humans. But other people have the so-called damage theory of aging that uh, because you, you know, like a, a small animal that has a fast metabolism is just building up damage a lot faster throughout their life and then they die earlier, whereas a slow developing you know, person with a slow metabolism, a lower body temperature, uh, maybe they're just not building up uh, damage as fast. So how would you describe that? Or what is your theory about how aging progresses? Well, there are indeed many theories of aging which were proposed uh, over the years. And I think 
the the mainstream view right now is that there are many processes occurring simultaneously and also interacting with each other. For example, increase in insulin resistance that you mentioned, inc uh, accumulation of damage, which you also mentioned. Also, increased inflammation is an important factor. And there are other characteristics, reduced ability to repair, to recover from effects of stress or environmental insults, so-called resilience uh, goes down as you get older. Uh, so, so there is, I think, many of these processes which proceed in parallel and they all add up to increase risk of disease and dying, basically. And, uh, you know, one of the key characteristics of, of aging is that uh, your probability of surviving the next year uh, decreases, you know, it's in the developed countries with the reasonable hygiene, public health measures, vaccinations and such, the chances of dying when you are 10 or 12 years old are somewhere around zero unless you are in a car wreck. But they gradually increase starting soon afterwards and then increase faster and faster and people who look at individuals with extreme longevity, for example, at people, so-called supercentenarians, which are people who are over 110, very few, there are very few such people, but they are. And people who do research with, with these individuals find that their chances of living another year are only about 50%. So this is what happens as you get older, that you are increased probability of bad things happening to you. Yeah, and it's a very complex interplay is what you're saying with all types of mechanisms. So considering that, what do you think is the most fruitful approach for people to extend their lives in, say, the next few years? Do you see some research out there that really has grabbed your attention that you think would be very effective at reducing the rate of aging or causing re, uh, reversal of aging? Well, one of the very exciting areas which is now ongoing is looking at the role of so-called cell senescence in aging and looking at the prospect of slowing down or, or even stopping uh, some of the aging processes by selectively removing these senescent cells. Senescent cells are cells which uh, undergone some transformation, meaning that they, their function changes, and the, the biggest change is that they will no longer divide. So, and such cells accumulate in various tissues, for example, in adipose tissue, and they cause some local changes which are detrimental. And there is interest in developing drugs, and, and various drugs already have been identified that can selectively kill the cells. So this is a new area, and uh, it's exciting to see the findings that are being, being reported. We have uh, collaborated for a number of, of years. We had a joint funding and collaboration with uh, Dr. James Kirkland at Mayo Clinic, who is one of the leaders in this field. Yeah, so, many of the listeners of the podcast are familiar with Kirkland and his research, yeah. 
Yeah, so we are very familiar with this work and also doing some experiments here along along these lines. Yeah, I often get asked what you recommend, and and you know why the research is is dealing with you know theoretical concepts, evolutionary biology and molecular biology, and you know detailed signaling pathways inside cells. The practical advice is basically very simple, you know, eat sensibly and keep moving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is right. You know, I usually tell people, eat less and exercise more. That's it. And you can add a lot of years to your life. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what's safe, and that's what you can do. And And it's free. And, you know, food is not poison. I mean, it's not avoiding food. But I think what the, the secret is, primarily adjusting the amount of food you eat to the amount of energy you expend. In other words, you know, if you have sedentary job and you are not a particularly active individual, you need less food than somebody who is into intensive exercise or has a work which is physically demanding or, you know, spends lots of time outdoors and so forth. So, you know, I think keeping this balance is important. And also, you know, there's lots of sound advice about which foods are better for you and which are not as good. And I think this is well known and, and, and it obviously makes sense to pay attention. Yeah, it sure does. So besides yourself keeping moving and watching your diet, do you do anything else to extend your life that you're hoping will keep you healthy into many more decades of life? Well, I refuse to retire. That's uh, maybe a a peculiar characteristic that I have. I'm not working uh, full-time, but uh, not uh, not that much less than full-time. And I find this uh, satisfying, sort of uh, maintaining the lifestyle that I had whole life, you know, getting up in the morning and going to work and and working in research has this added advantage that what you do is is interesting and appealing that you have to do some things which are necessary evil like trying to get money to support your research but lots of things you do are exciting and interesting and you do them because you want to so i think being in that situation is is very good trying not to become uh, a completely decrepit individual. <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs> tell you what, here's to wishing you much more success in life and research over the next couple of decades. And Dr. Andy Bartke, thank you so much for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. And thank you. The inspiring aspect of Dr. Bartke's story is that he didn't start out with the intention of untangling the mysteries of aging, yet contributed a significant amount to the knowledge base of the field. Not only that, he continues to inspire by working through retirement. Here's hoping Dr. Bartke has many more years of fruitful discoveries. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.